Um, so my name's Emily Hudson. I'm a fellow in intellectual property law um, associated with St Peter's College. Um, and my areas, in addition to intellectual property, are personal property law and law as it relates to cultural institutions and the arts. Um, and I've been um, speaking with Donna almost since I arrived at Oxford a year ago about a cultural heritage program. And already where um, I'm involved um, in helping her uh, with teaching some cultural heritage law into the visual cultures stream in the School of Archaeology in one of the master's programs. So it's been wonderful how quickly we've been able to go from general discussions to um, some actual teaching. Um, I've been asked to talk to you um, uh, to give you an overview of the diverse range of legal regimes um, that are relevant to the preservation and use and accessibility of cultural heritage. I anticipate that some of you will have encountered some of these um, regimes. However, I think it's likely that there will be issues that you're not familiar with or that you've only um, considered in passing. Now, as you can see from this slide, the law's uh, role in the cultural heritage space goes far beyond specific statutes or instruments um, in relation to the importation or exportation of cultural heritage or legislation dealing specifically with historical buildings or, or shipwrecks. Um, and it, it really includes a lot of other legal regimes that can touch upon um, the regulation of, of cultural heritage. So when I'm introducing students to law and cultural heritage, whether this is part of a, a specific course on cultural heritage or part of a more general course on law and the arts, one of the first things I do is ask them to think about the different ways that the law conceptualises the thing that is the cultural heritage. So at times the law focuses on the physical object or site or monument. And in this respect, it's conceptualising cultural heritage as something that can be possessed or bought and sold, that can be stolen, imported or exported, that can be trespassed upon. Now, some of the rules have developed specifically for cultural heritage, um, but others, as I indicated, apply to all forms of property. And the controversial issue often relates to the question of whether or not in the way we apply these rules um, to cultural heritage, whether we need to modify them or take some sort of um, awareness in applying general law principles that what we're applying them to is cultural heritage and not some other chattel. So this is perhaps recognising the special nature of cultural heritage or certain unique issues that may arise in relation to such objects, sites and so forth. So to give you one example, I've included on the slide a reference to property torts, e.g. conversion. So for tort, just think of a variety of laws who have at their heart obligations not to harm one another. And one way you can harm someone else is by interfering with their right to possession. So for instance, by stealing something, by taking it, by misappropriating it. So there are traditional, there are a, a, a traditional typical principles of conversion um, that 
an owner of an object or an artefact may wish to have, um, may wish to invoke if that object or artefact has been stolen. And they'll do this to then seek return of that object or monetary compensation through damages. Now the law also provides for rules in which, which limit the time in which you must bring an action. Um, so so-called statutes of limitation or limitation periods. And the idea behind limitation periods is that for various reasons, we don't like people to bring stale claims. So typically, under the ordinary rules, you'll have six years after the accrual of the cause of action, so that's when the original misappropriation or theft occurred, in which to bring a cause of action, so to bring a claim in court. Now, what's relevant in the theft of cultural heritage and artwork is it's common that the thing is stolen and goes underground for many years and then pops up later, often decades after the first misappropriation. And the issue is if you apply statutes of limitation in the ordinary way, that will mean that the original owner does not have a cause of action to bring. They're barred as a matter of procedure or substantively from making a claim in court. So we have in various jurisdictions ways in which the law has been modified to take into account the special nature of theft, um, including theft of, of artwork. So that's just one example where you've got general principles, but we may need to rethink how they're applied because of spe the special nature of um, cultural heritage um, or works of art. Um, at other times, the law conceptualises cultural heritage as something that attracts intellectual property protection. So, um, for instance, as a copyright work, as a work in which there might subsist design rights. Um, and in this respect, the law is largely concerned with controlling the copying and communication and performance and so forth of the item without the permission of the copyright owner. And this raises various questions in relation to cultural heritage. The first of which is, is there in fact a copyright work? Um, because items may be sufficiently old that to the extent there may have been copyright protection, there is no current copyright protection. Even if rights do subsist, there may be issues in who is the owner of those rights. And there are questions about whether intellectual property laws can accommodate different understandings regarding the creation and dissemination of cultural expression. A third way in which the law conceptualises cultural heritage, heritage is as a work that needs to be pre preserved in its authentic form and is something that should not be mislabeled or misdescribed. And as indicated on the slide, there are various um, protections ranging from consumer protections, moral rights provisions, criminal sanctions for fraud, um, which can be relevant to this protection of the authenticity and the integrity of cultural heritage. And a final way in which the law conceptualises cultural heritage is, as, well, when I say the final, this is the final one that I tend to present to students, is as a repository of information. And that information may be confidential or be secret or sacred. It may be an embodiment of the creator's speech. So again, there are, are ways in which law regulates the informational content of cultural heritage. 
Now, in terms of the sorts of issues that arise, I thought I'd just conclude by just identifying some ones that I think are of particular um, interest to me and that I, I think are quite um, are referred to quite commonly in discussions of law and cultural heritage. So one is the issue of whether Western legal paradigms um, really can accommodate other systems of regulating knowledge and objects and sites. So just to give one example, laws in relation to copyright and moral rights um, are often built around an understanding of authorship as being the product of a single individual and that that person then owns certain rights. And this doesn't necessarily sit comfortably with other ways of understanding authorship. So where one might think of a custodianship of various ideas or techniques or stories, where creation may be connected quite intimately to the land, um, these sorts of ideas don't necessarily get reflected well in copyright and moral rights regimes as currently conceived um, um, in the Western legal paradigm. Secondly, to the extent that we look at the suite of laws and think that there are areas in which new protection is desirable, we need to ask ourselves, how do we achieve this? Is this through the modification of existing laws and regimes? Or is it through new, sometimes referred to as sui generis, protections for cultural heritage or for traditional knowledge? Now, one thing I might just say briefly at this point is that I don't think we should underestimate the ability for existing law to evolve to cover new paradigms and ideas. So for instance, in Australia for many years there was a real concern about whether or not Indigenous artworks would be protected as copyright works. There was concerns they may not be original to the extent they involved traditional techniques um, or depicted traditional stories. Um, there was a sort of list of concerns. In actual fact, there was then a series of cases during the 1990s in which such artworks were protected as copyright works and indeed some attempt made, um, albeit imperfectly, but some attempt made to also recognise the communal nature of ownership of those, of those works. So there is some capacity for existing regimes to accommodate um, different understandings of knowledge, objects and sites. But there are obviously limits to the capacity of the law and that does raise the question about whether sui generis protections are required. And here we then come across a lot of political issues, leaving aside the legal issues, a lot of political issues in terms of can we reach international agreement in relation to what these new protections might look like. A third issue that, that I'll deal with um, briefly is how do we deal with collections, and I'm, I'm sort of language this more in the museum context, but I don't think it's exclusive to museums. How do we deal with collections that were acquired without fully informed consent or without due regard to cultural, cultural considerations? Um, so that might relate to whether or not we should be repatriating objects, whether there might be things that are not the appropriate targets of digitisation, um, whether, and whether or not we are adequately um, communicating with um, original owners or other countries in relation to how we manage these particular items. 
And the question that Peter Hurtle will talk about next relates to some of these issues in terms of how museums should control access to physical and digital collections. So that's my bird's eye or 360,000 foot view. My conclusion is simple, um, that the law should be a very important aspect of research and learning programs in cultural heritage. And I do look forward to continuing to work with Donna into the future on this particular project. Thank you very much.